truly be changed, Lord God, by your word and by your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I passed out um, words to the last song in our worship set for this morning song is sung in Spanish, so I wanted to make sure that everyone who does not understand Spanish understands the words that are being sung over us. It's a beautiful song. Let us enter into our time of worship. Oh, my God. 
only purpose, my provider. Yeah, but my enemies around me got me tied up. And they throw me in a bit inside the fire. You are my God and my King and my Father. Light to my path in the darkness. Hoping my heart on their heart is falling. You reach out and call us. You're the lover of my soul. Love is flawless. They don't understand my God is keeping me high. I know they call on. Cause me, I know, I know they saw us. Control de mi vida 
Oh, Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, God. Thank you, Father, you created us to worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that God, that it's you who sings songs of deliverance over your people, Father. Now, it's, Father, it's through these times of worship, God, that we're reminded of just how great you are. And God, we want to surrender to you, Lord Jesus, willingly, God, to humble ourselves before you, Lord, God, because you're pleased to reveal yourself to us, God. Father, we want to be loosed from all of that which binds us, Lord, these mental strongholds, God, these desires, the the pride, the insecurities. God, everything that keeps us from you, Lord. God, we want to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us, God. And Father, we want to pursue you, God. But we know in and of ourselves, God, we can't conjure that up, Lord. Your word says, God, that you, God, give us the desire and not only the desire to seek after you, but God, the power to live for you through your Holy Spirit. Oh God, that your people would have the right mindset and knowledge of who our God is. That we are your people. If we belong to Christ, if we are in Christ, God, that we are your people. And as the scriptures that were prayed through during our prayer time, God, reminded us that you knew us, Father. Even before you formed us and fashioned us in our mother's womb, God, you've already purposed us to be engrafted, adopted into your kingdom, into your family, and given the right to call you Abba, to call you Daddy, God, that, that you, God, knew <laughs> that we would be in this time, this generation, such a time as this, to live for you, God. To seek first your kingdom. God, that if we're truly in Christ, the veil has been removed and now we see clearly. We're not clinging to the temporal things of life any longer. Oh, but God, we're clinging to Christ. <laughs> you know exactly where each one of us are at today, Lord. And oh, how I pray that we would not be an act of rebellion, which is the form of witchcraft. But God, that we would be a people submitted a living sacrifice that we would reckon ourselves dead but alive through Christ, the resurrected one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Father, we thank you that you've given us this opportunity just to come and to sit at your feet this morning. To once again hear the living word of God. The Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher, our comforter, our counselor, our guide. And that, Father, in this moment and and this time together, Lord, that you would bind the enemy. God, that there would be no distractions. But that, Lord, you are among us. So let nothing hinder, Lord, your plan for us this morning. May our hearts be of good soil to truly receive and that it would take root and, and produce fruit, Father. So come, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you, Lord, are among us and that you are gracious enough, Father, to draw us even closer to you to complete the work in which you have begun in us, Father. And for that, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Oh, wow. Uh, Application. (laughs) It's our word for the year. Sustained effort, hard work, comes from the root word apply, which is to give one's full attention to. Not just half-hearted, but full attention to. Applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book, an impractical collection of old manuscripts, that's what Paul. Why, that's why Paul says, "Whatever you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you." When we apply the Bible, God Himself is with us. The degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come to life in our lives. The application of scripture enforces and further enlightens our study and also serves to sharpen our discernment, and as we've heard since January, we should all know this, (laughs) helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. Ultimately, that's how you're growing as a Christian. If you are a Christian, you are maturing, and your your level of discernment is is, is rising, (laughs) it's growing, so that you can distinguish between good and evil. The Bible says that life and death is set before you. And then it encourages us to choose life. To choose life. Jesus says that it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come to give you life and life and abundance. It is a new life in Christ. We hear it over and over and over. You're to be born again and born again of a new nature. You're not taking what was back here with you where you're going. 
You are to consider this dead. You are to recognize that the nature in which you were born into before Christ is a nature that is at war with the throne of God. It is a nature that is at odds with God. It doesn't mind having a little religion. It doesn't, remind, it doesn't mind giving you just this and that. But it does mind if you truly start applying the truth of God's Word. God's Word. It's alive and active. It is the mirror that you're to be looking in intently. And then not walking away from it, forgetting what you look like. But to truly live as a Christian. To truly live as a Christian in, this, in a generation in which you are purposed to be in that is growing darker and darker. More chaotic. Lawlessness is on the rise. Perversion is on the rise. The earth is unstable. And it's not going back. I read an article this morning. And top officials... That, you, that are still connected with the government, but they're warning Americans that we are at war. And it's a war like nothing ever that we've seen, that our nation has ever seen before. A lot of Americans think when they think that their nation is at war like the Gulf War or there are all these wars that have taken place and you know, the Iraq war, and it didn't really affect us. It affected our servicemen and women, but it really didn't affect our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. But the war in which we are in, it's we are going to feel the effects because the war is going to be with Russia and China. Mm-hmm. At any moment, they're saying. I mean, even and these aren't even Christian people. These are these are secular people. That the destruction of America has been underway and we're going to see the, the collapse of the free nation on the earth. And then I keep listening and watching all these different people from all different walks of life. and they, They're not Christians, though I listen to Christians. But I find it interesting when I come across these other people and these other faiths And they're talking about what's happening on the earth. They see it. They talk about the matrix and how you have to get out from what's being fed to you and all this stuff. I mean, they're talking biblical principles, but the only thing they don't have is Christ. So even the unsaved, even people on the outside see what's happening all around the earth. But as Christians... We have the truth. Everything the living word of God has predicted is coming to pass. And I keep thinking of that one testimony I shared with you, I don't know, it was last year, a couple years ago, where the preacher and his wife from overseas, from from a, a Muslim country, they have active ministry, God was growing them and maturing them. And then they have the opportunity to come over here to go to seminary and to be taught and to kind of get grounded in the Word of God. And that man's wife woke up the first night or the first morning that they were here and she basically says, we've got to leave. 
lest we end up like the rest of them here, lulled asleep by the enemy. I mean, listen, you all. It's it's not a, a moment to be scared or frightened, but it's just the reality. And when we talk about application, we talk about the level of discernment of, of between good and evil. When we start looking and we seeing the signs of the times, when we start recognizing that, wait a minute, <laughs> oh God, <laughs> what you've planned and what you what you have purposed is coming to pass. And not just for my little life, (laughs) but for your kingdom. Like his kingdom, his purpose. It's all for him. It's all for him. That's why we're to be maturing, growing. That's why community in, 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 in the church is vital, especially in this hour. And again, it can't be church as we've done church. No, we've got to be the church, the bride of Christ, preparing for his return. Because yet though we see these signs, and yet though we see all this chaos going, and yet though tomorrow everything can be turned upside down. If we're secured in Christ, if we know Christ, and we know who we are in Christ, we will not be shaken. I mean, I think of the, the, the church when the church was birthed on the earth and what they've endured ever since. Nothing's going to stop God's plans. And God planned the church. He planned to have a people from the beginning and for all eternity that would be his people and he would be their God. That we will live for God, that we will know our God, that we will love our God. Yet you can't make up what God, what's going on nowadays. Like it's happening. It's happening. And it's time that people awaken to truth because God is moving. God is revealing himself. Yes. He's not asleep. He hasn't turned his back on us. No, God is actively pursuing us because of the urgency of the hour that is coming on the earth. And we've got to be a people that's able to stand and stand there for them. Believing in our God. Knowing our God. Forsaking everything else for our God. God, I'm yours. I'm yours. Do you know him today? Do you love him? Are you seeking to know him even more? To love him more? The first, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. To love the Lord your God. That's the commandment, you all. That's not a suggestion. It's not like you're loving man. (laughs) This natural love. No, it's the agape love. It's the love. Like nothing I will treasure, nothing and no one before my God. 
God, you all. You were created for him. He wasn't created for you. <laughs> and so many times that's how, that's how we live. With that concept that God is created for us. No, no. We were created for him. To walk with him. To talk with him. To abide in him. I mean, this is our God, you all. And so the hour is urgent. Warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. And it's about time that churches and the church begins to awaken to what we've been called to. Because I can't express it enough. You have a realm here that you cannot see. But it is actively engaged in warring against the church. But what are the promises of God? That the gates of hell shall not prevail. And that he's given us the weapons of our warfare to demolish these strongholds. He's given us the security in Christ that the Bible says for believers that if you submit yourself to God and resist the enemy, that resisting, when you hear that word, that's application. You have to do something. First you submit to God, and then you resist the enemy. But how do I resist the enemy? The Word of God. You need to be educated in the Word of God. You need to know Him and know your identity now. And as you resist the enemy, do you know what the Bible says? He has to flee. (laughs) He has to flee. He cannot remain. And yet a lot of us are just sitting down, allowing him just to trample us. No, we are the church of the living God, the resurrected God. He's given us all authority, all all power. Are you experiencing the power of the resurrection? Because the Bible says, if you're a believer, no matter what stage you are at as a believer... Like you have the power that raised Christ from the dead within you. I remember when that became a reality for me. Like, wait a minute, what? Like that shifts your understanding, your thinking. And as you think, so you go. So you don't walk weak-willed. No, you walk upright. <laughs> Among a wicked and perverse generation. Do you understand Like when you read the Bible, you're just not reading these cute little stories. These are actual people <laughs> who lived in their generations that were just as wicked, <laughs> and yet they chose to follow God. I mean, we watched the Abraham movie. If you haven't watched it, you ought to see it. (laughs) 
But to think Abraham was a pagan man. And yet God calls him out and creates him to be the father of many nations. I mean, just think about all the different people that God has captured in his living word that we can look at and be encouraged that God is not a respecter of persons. No, God is God. And if he raised them up for their day, he's raising us up for our day to be the people of God, doing the will of God for the glory of God. To, to let go of all of this and to say, God, I'm yours. So you had that realm. And then you had the world system that wants nothing more to continue to put stuff before us, to lure us in, to for us to cling tightly to what it has to offer. And in the end, it's nothing. So what does the Bible encourage us about that? Well, we're to consider ourselves dead and our interest in the world, the Bible says, is dead and the world's interest in us is no more. Let it parade whatever it wants in front of us. not to grasp tightly to it because this world is not our home do you understand as a Christian you're living and you're thinking differently you're growing and you're maturing and then you have the very flesh nature that wants nothing more, and I've said this for years, to devour you. You're your own worst enemy. <laughs> A lot of times, this realm and this realm is not even interested in you because you haven't even conquered this <laughs> through Christ. But no. You reckon yourself dead but alive in Christ. The resurrected Christ. This is our belief and this is our confession that Jesus is the Son of God and He rose from the dead. He has defeated sin and death. And so we are not to be a people who continue to abide in the old. No, we're to be a people now. Applying truth and maturing now as a people of God, as whole people. <laughs> nothing missing, nothing broken. This is what we have to offer. This is the good news. You know, for so long in, in our state of being his enemy, we see him as the problem. But when he reveals himself to us, you see how gracious he is, how kind he is, how loving he is. And that he's given us, the Bible says, everything we need to live this life. Like to truly to have a life. And 
and your creator. Like he's pleased to reveal himself to us. He moves heaven and earth and says, here I am. How do we respond? See, when you respond, it's through applying truth that ultimately leads to obedience. The fruit of application. You'll know, you'll know if you're applying God's truth when you see the fruit of obedience come from your life. And Jesus even says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Like again, Jesus, you all. He came not to judge the world, but to save the world because the world already stands condemned. There is a day, there is an hour set aside for the wrath of God to bombard this place. But even in that, as I keep trying to encourage us, his love will still be displayed. Like, oh, do we know our God? And not just how we want to know him, but do we truly know him? I spent these last two weeks as I've been on vacation, just kind of just processing and, and praying. Because I said, God, you know, you see it all through the Old Testament, how, you know, his people denied him and yet they claimed him. They had, they had an opportunity. They, they saw him move in miraculous ways. He, he called them out from among all the other nations. And yet they kept looking at the other nations and they wanted to worship like the other nations. And he warned them that God wasn't enough for them. Like, oh God, let that not be said about us. Then we see in the New Testament, and we see since the church has been birthed, and we see in our generation, and it will continue until he returns. But even then, you have these, you know, people who are just sitting in church, and they don't even know God. I mean, they may even have a prayer time. They may even have their own personal devotional time. They may even have their own worship time where they're moved with emotions and, 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 and just feelings and just everything, and yet they lack Christ. That's the greatest deception of all. I mean, Jesus looked at those Pharisees and Sadducees he exposed them for who they were. And I, I told you, Jesus, when Jesus flipped the tables, he did it in his own house. And so if we're not applying God's truth, if we're not seeing the fruit of obedience coming forth from our lives, God help us God, help us to awaken to truth and the reality that we just have a form of religion and we are denying the power of God to transform us. That's how you're transformed, through application. It's hard work. It's sustained effort. 
It's daily. It's constant. It's moment by moment. Second by second. I no longer, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in and through me. What does that look like? I know what my flesh desires. I know what the world wants to present me. And I understand there's a realm here that will love nothing more than to see me devoured. But God, how do I apply the truth that you've come to set me free and that you've set me free? Like we awaken, we awaken, and we are engaged now because we are of a new nature, a nature that is at war with the old nature. Remember, Galatians tells us the flesh and the spirit, they're at war with each other within you. But that shouldn't cause you to fret or to quake at the knees or give you the right to keep feasting off the old. No, that just should awaken you to say, wait a minute, as much effort as I put in to live out in the old, I need to put in to live into the new. How then now shall I live? Who am I now? I will never know who I am now if I don't know who he is. Because God, you created me, you formed me, you've prepared works for me to do. You called me out of darkness and into your marvelous light. You've engrafted me into your family. I am now a child of God. That's why you always hear me say you ought to be able to preach yourself happy. You ought to be able to stand. You ought to be able to get up each morning, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. Give the day to the Holy Spirit. It's your will to be done in and through my life. Guard my heart. Bring me down when needed. So I remain humble. That I see things clearly now. That my eyes have been opened. That I understand that when I go into places, I can discern. And I know how to pray and I know how to engage in warfare. But there's a way in which I'm called to live now. So I've said these past two weeks, I've just been praying. Like, God, awaken, awaken, awaken us. When I say us, I'm just talking about the people of God throughout the earth. Because I know there's a huge awakening taking place. <laughs> because of the times that are upon the earth. And then I'm seeing God just move in all these different ways and he's just revealing himself over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I go, God, look at you. You're at work. You're in the midst of all this chaos. The amount of people I've been able to talk to and to counsel and just sit with and speak with and just watch God move. I'm like, man, God, there's no one like him, you all. So if you're truly in Christ, you've been born again of a new nature. Now you must grow. And it's a continual growth. You're not finished until you're with him. But we have to be growing. And that's why I'm so passionate about this year to continue to hold application up, to continue to try to encourage us 
to, to, to apply truth. And what does that look like? Not just how to just be a phrase, but how are we doing with that in your life? What does it look like to resist the enemy? What does it look like daily to remind yourself it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in and through me. They just can't be words. It has to be action. What is it to, to understand? How do I apply the concept and the truth that the, my interest in the world is over and the world's interest in me is no more? Like, how do I apply these truths? What does that look like for a Christian? I mean, for God's sakes, Jesus came and he birthed the church. People can barely make it to church. They, they see no value in community. And I, I believe I've said it here before, but if you see no value in sitting in church, then you see no value in Christ then the Christ in which you say you think you value is not Christ at all. It's a lesser God that has deceived you. Churches should be filled, not to be entertained, not to, ah, I wish it was more my style, but people should be hungry for the Word of God to engage with the community of people that belong to God. The lost are welcome to come and to sit and to hear the message of God, but we don't transform the church for the lost. No, we uphold the standards of the church for the church. And then hopes that the lost, when they come in, that they say there's something different about them. But it fascinates me that in churches all throughout, the lost come in and they don't even see Christians hungering for community. Or have a desire even to learn of the God in whom they say they believe in. And I go, God help us. God help us. If you do not value community, sitting under the teaching of the word of God, something's wrong with you. Something is seriously wrong with you, and I'm tired of playing games. Something is seriously wrong. Well, I like it this type of way. I like it this night better than that day. We have all of our excuses. And yet this is how God ordained it. This is how God purposed it. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. Do you understand what we're up against? Like, we're just not, again, our, 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 our battle is not with flesh and blood. <laughs> but it's with rulers and principalities in the air and the darkness. And so not only do, do we have to strive to, to live out there among the wicked and the perverse 
whose eyes are blinded. But even within the church, there's a war going on. (laughs) The wheat and the tares are growing together. And yet the Bible specifically tells us how we're to deal with it. Not man's ways, but God's ways. It's not a game to play. It's not like poof, you're Christian, poof, you're Christian, poof, you're, oh, we're all Christians. No, the reality is that we're all not Christians. How sad is that? Oh, but they're gifted. Oh, but they can pray. Oh, they can write. Oh, they can do this. Or or they can do that. And that's all they do. The devil can do that too. But if there's not obedience, if there's not hunger, if there's not application, if there's not truth in your life, and then I was thinking about just families. And God, what's happening to our youth today You have all these families sitting in churches. And then they go home, and their home is the den of the devil. And we're just turning over our home, our lives, over and over. And the same generational crap just keeps happening over and over and over. Because no one is standing up and being in the light. No one is saying no more to this. Like God resides here. Because God resides here. Oh, we gotta wake up, you all. The earth is shaking like never before. Our generation has never seen what we're experiencing and what's coming. <laughs> and we gotta wake up. We gotta value ultimately God through Christ. And then value what Christ has established upon this earth. He didn't take his people, he didn't take the church out of the earth. It's not time yet. As long as the church is on the earth, there is hope. Because we're to be his hands and his feet. We're to be his image. This is his standard. This is what the Bible says. His hands, his feet, his image. For a dying world. That's why he came. He humbled himself to serve, to love, to offer hope through him, to be reconciled to God, the God, the only God. And God is pleased to reveal himself to us through Christ. So that we will live on purpose for him.
So this weirdness that's going on, like, God help us. God help us. I say, Lord, awaken us. Strip us of everything if need be. Like we read, we're going to get to Romans today. But last time we read in Romans, Romans 1, we saw, and this is in the New Testament, what God does in his anger towards sin. Like he'll turn you over. He'll abandon you. Oh, you must be a bad guy. No, stop it foolishness no he's a loving God you're the one who's bad you're the one that keeps saying no I don't love you no I don't want it your way I want it my way and he says have at it so I've been praying these past two weeks God would you abandon them Would you turn them over, God, to what they desire? And you say, oh, but that's a horrible prayer. No, that's the right prayer. Because that's how, hopefully, God will awaken them. The Bible says to set them out in hopes that their soul will be saved. And that's what I keep trying to encourage us. We have to care more about people's eternity than just their temporalness of life. That we begin to say no. And we begin to begin to say yes to the things of God. And so I said, God, turn them over. Abandon them. Let them feel the weight of their choices and their sin. Because he does it because he loves us. But God is angry at sin. And the Bible says his wrath is stored up because of sin. And his wrath is justified and understand this. I don't know. I was sitting this these past weeks thinking through this. I mean, just hear this. Like, he's defeated sin, the power of sin, and the power of death. Through his son. His only son. And yet people keep refusing his son. And they keep pursuing the very thing and the very power that he has stripped. And they would rather remain sinners than children of God. And so his wrath will come. And those who are not children of God will be swallowed up into his wrath for all eternity. And you expect us just to be kumbaya with you. To treat you with kid gloves. Oh, they're fragile. No, they're not. They're sinners. And they're rebelling against the living God. 
That's the reality. So we have to wake up, church. We got to start cleaning house. We got to start saying no more. You ought to feel uncomfortable in here. If you're not a child of God, I want you to feel uncomfortable. I want you to leave. Before I have to put you out. Because I've had it. I've had it what we're doing and what we're playing and the games that just keep going on the same cycle over and over and over and over and over and over and over. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to apply truth. It's time to live for truth. It's time to be the children of God doing the will of God for the glory of God. So application is vital. I can't keep stressing it this year. I can't. Like you truly apply the truth in which you're hearing. And you say, but I don't know. Well, then get discipled. Grow. Mature. Take His Word and believe. Well, this and that. No, stop your well. Stop your this. Stop your that. Believe. Believe. Well, what about this? What about that? No. Believe. God has placed His living Word into your hands. We ought not to be neglecting it. Go to John chapter 4. Scriptures, I hope to encourage you to persevere in application. John chapter 4, verse 23 through 24. But a time is coming, and I love this, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must circle that, highlight that, Do whatever you need to, to make that your focus for this week, for this scripture. You must worship him in spirit and truth. And you hear that. But if I went around the room and I called upon you and said, how are you putting this into practice? You've heard it since January. I keep, it's our opening time together. It's like a record on repeat. I mean, seriously. You've heard it. What are you doing? If I went around, I called your name, and I said, give me specific... And don't even think, because it should just be natural. It should just come, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And you say, but I'm not. Don't call me. Don't call me, because I don't have an answer. But why don't you have an answer? And it's not to berate you, to make you feel less than, or you're, you're a bad Christian. It's not about that. And I've, and I've told you over the years, if, if that becomes your mindset, then you're looking at self. 
get over yourself. And if you don't understand how to apply it, then ask the Holy Spirit. Like the Bible says, you have not because you've asked not. Like, God, I don't know what this means. I don't know. But God, I want to know. Because God, you've given me that desire to know. Because I wouldn't desire this for myself. I wouldn't desire a calling that tells me to deny myself. (laughs) You just got to be honest. You just got to say, God, I don't know how to live this out. How How do I live now? And that's where the community comes in. That's why you're among believers. Because it's the same standard for each of us. And so we ask, like, what, what does this look like for us? We must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 1 through 2. Remember verse 1 is at the end of chapter 10. <laughs> you ought to know that by now. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. You should be able to imitate those who are mature in their faith. That's how you grow. That's how you learn. And that you're following the teachings that are being passed on to you. Listen, you all, the Christian life, it's not a cakewalk. And that's why I've always told you when you hear the gospel being preached and it gives you the right to yourself or it gives you this form of religion to follow all of its rules and laws and doctrines and all this stuff. Like you're not even hearing the gospel. The gospel is liberating. The gospel is a call to freedom. Like again, like I was the darkest of the dark. I wasn't looking for Christ. I wasn't looking for church. But when I came to Christ, I knew where I needed to be. <laughs> In Christ and among his people, I needed to learn. And I told you the first couple years of my life as a Christian, ugh, they were hell. It's like, what on earth is this? Who would want to live like this? And it was an intense battle going on. But I had to keep reminding myself, I didn't start this in me. God, you revealed yourself to me. You called me out, and I believe. But I don't understand. (laughs) But I believe there is no doubt in me that you are not God. So help me 
with my unbelief. Maybe that just should be your prayer this week. Help me with my unbelief, God. And even that is not a prayer that you would pray out of your own will. That would be a spirit-led prayer. Like you ought to see God working in your life because when you see him working, you can't deny him. And you go, wow. So who are you imitating? Whose life are you looking at saying, man, they love God. They're not perfect, but they love God. They have a zeal for God. They have, they have a desire for the things of God. God. <laughs> I want to be able to imitate them as they imitate Christ. Not that you're putting your hope in the person. So don't get weird like that. But that you can be encouraged to say, man, God, you're not a respecter of persons. If you've done it for him, you've done it for her. You've awakened me the same way through Christ. Then God, I know that you can do it through me. So God, I want to engage in this newness of life, this freedom. It's liberating to be a Christian. And I've always said, if you find your Christian life, boom. Then you don't understand, you haven't heard the message of the gospel. And yet, though the message of the gospel is liberating, you are going to have to get up every single day and apply it behind enemy lines. Behind these forces that scream at you that God is no good. Here's a better alternative. Here's a better alternative. Your desires, your wants, your needs have been beer. But the world parades in front of us that these be your God. Even these religious institutions, let them be your God. <sighs> these false messages of freedom, that's not freedom at all. And yet our old nature likes it. Because it's out for your destruction. But when you're truly liberated, and you understand freedom, prance around whatever you want in front of me. <laughs> Come at me with full force. Flame up all the desires and lust within me. But I will remind you whom I belong to. I don't know if you're talking this way. <clears throat> I know my God. I walk with my God. I talk with my God. I desire the things of my God. I desire the community that my God has birthed on this earth. I want to live for my God. I want to encourage the upcoming generation to know my God. So that they too can know freedom from the mental strongholds and the forces of evil and the filth of this world. And they can be free. 
They, they, they don't find their value in any of that. And our value is in God and God alone. And when I know that that is my value, I'm not seeking. And even when I mess up, even when I fail, I recognize that what I've given myself to is a power that's already be stripped of its power and I'm not to stay down to be enslaved to it any longer. I can get up by the power of the Holy Spirit who brings forth conviction to say, son, daughter, you don't belong there. Yes. Now get up. Repent. True repentance. Turn from it. Get up and run the race. Run the race. Run the race. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Until you finally hear, well done. You're home now. Like you will rest for eternity. Oh, eternity, you all. Go to Second Peter. In chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. God, I love this. By His divine power. Whose power? God's power. Not your power, but God's power. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this, listen to this, by coming to what? Know Him. To know Him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Again, so if I went around and asked you, because you've heard this since January, how are you living this? How are you applying this? Like you, you hear the depths and the richness of these, just these two scriptures. They can be able to sustain you to get you through your week. It's the remembrance. It's reminding yourself. It is by His power, not mine. So I'm not going to try to live it out in my strength. No, God, I need You. And Father, You've given me Yourself via the Holy Spirit. It's like Jesus, my Lord, said He had to go away so that He will come. God in me, God in me, God in me. And I'm not to live a life that grieves God, to grieves the Holy Spirit. No, I can walk. I can choose to walk in the Spirit. I can choose to say this is the way to live now. And as I walk in the Spirit, the Bible says I will not gratify the desires of my flesh. It is by His divine power. God, you've given me everything I need to live a godly life. 
So when temptation comes, temptation in itself is not sin. But when it comes, the Bible says he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. That he makes a way out of every temptation. And how does he do that? Hold up this scripture. Oh, wait a minute. I'm mature enough to discern between good and evil. And I know that which is plaguing my mind, flaming up in my heart and my desires, is of the old nature. In and of myself, I will cower down to it and give in to it because I like it. And that could be anything. That could just be your bad attitude. The gossiping, the slander, the backbiting. An anger issue. All of that. Lust. Perversion. I mean, you just name it. But you see, that's of the old nature. Insecurities. Woundedness. That's of the old nature. And if I submit myself to it, then I then become a slave to it. But no, no, no. See, I don't know how you're talking to yourself. You ought to be the best preacher you know. God, you've given me everything I need to live a godly life. Why am I going to settle to make that choice for just a moment of of satisfaction? No. I will not submit to that. You've made a way out. And that way is to submit to you. I see this is how you live. You called me to yourself. (laughs) These, These are the great and precious promises you've given me. That I'm able to share. Did you do you hear this? That you were able to share in his divine nature through Christ through Christ we God you can share in his divine nature and then by doing so escape the world's corruption which is caused by human desires. You understand what the Bible says? Where does sin come from? It comes from the desires that are from within. Man, when the light bulb goes off and then you hear what you've been thinking and what you've been processing, you go, wow, this is, that's not even truth. And then you see the forces that are, are active. So it's not time to to, to stamper backwards or to turn or or to sit down or to give up. No, it's time to press in. It's time to go full force. (coughs) Say, God, I believe in whatever it costs, whatever I need to set aside, whoever I need to set aside, whatever is needed, God. I want all of this. Because you're not keeping it from me. Like you willingly, through Christ, freely giving it to me. Because you chose me. You formed me. You knew me. 
you thought of me even before you placed me in my mother's womb. Mm. <laughs> Man. That's powerful, you all. I don't know. It ought to encourage you. Second Peter, last scripture, verse 10. Oh, chapter 1, verse 10. So, dear brothers and sisters, here's application. It's again, what we're talking about. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Man. And you say, what things? What things am I supposed to do that gives me the hope that I will never fall away? Look at verse 5. We haven't looked at this this year yet. We've talked about it before, but they're not in the notes. So if you'll add this. Look at verses 5 through 9. You want to know how you ought to be living? What application looks like? Key verses. In view of all of this, in view of what? What we just read ahead of time. These precious promises that have been given to you. That you can share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So in view of this knowledge, what do you do with it? How do you apply it? Make every effort to respond. Make every effort. Highlight that. Circle that. Ponder that this week. To respond to God's promises. So supplement or add to your faith with a generous portion or a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. This is, this is what you're adding and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, oh, I love that, highlight that, circle that, meditate upon that truth this week, the more you grow like this, not like your old ways, not in your old patterns, and your old mindset, and your own filth, But in the new way, in the new life, in the new nature, the more you grow like this. So don't don't remain stunted in your growth. Don't think that you not grow. I I can come this far and God is okay with me. I don't know why we've lulled the church to sleep with that foolishness. Well, not everyone's going to mature. What kind of nonsense is that? The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those, but those, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. It's moment by moment, you all. It's second by second. This is how you live now. This is who you are now. This is how you're growing. This is how you're maturing. 
You're not making excuses any longer for those old patterns and those old places and those old, that oldness that was just you. No, no. You've been liberated. And not of your own, but all through Christ. So work hard, verse 10, to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. And then add verse 11, Carrie, then God will give you a grand entrance. God, I love that picture. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and we just want to stay stuck in our rut. And those old patterns, holding a form of religion as if we got a foot into the kingdom. And you're making a mockery of this kingdom. Do you understand the severity of mocking Jesus? Of mocking his kingdom? of pretending that you're in when in reality you're not. <laughs> but what you can have when you live a life willingly surrendered, just being honest and saying, yes, Lord. Mm-hmm. It's all for you. It's for your kingdom, like, God, you've give, you're going to give me a grand entrance. Like, God, there will come a day. Like, God, where I will step into your eternal kingdom. And not of any of my doing. But all through Christ, who you gave for me. Like, I don't know if you're encouraged and how you're encouraging yourself. But I don't want to keep playing games. This is the reality. This is the beauty of our God. To a, a creation that's in rebellion towards Him. That is perverting everything that He has done. But he's already victor over it. The victory is his. Amen. Are you walking in it? Are you experiencing it? Do you know it? Like, listen, again, your Christian walk is not going to be a piece of cake. Mm. You're going to endure. Because you're still behind enemy lines. And you know what the world did to Jesus when he was here. So don't expect your life to be anything above what he endured. You're going to endure hardship. And we're not even preparing the church for this. You're going to be mocked at. You're going to be laughed at. You're going to be pushed out of society. But it's okay. You can walk up you can walk with your head upright, upright, not cowering down, not afraid of what man can do. Because I'm in love with my God. Oh, that you would know your God, you all. The attributes of God. 
Again, a tool that I'm, I'm holding up to us in hopes that you would know your God so that you can begin to apply truth. That when you have these thoughts that are contrary to the truth of God's word, you are able to uphold truth and say, no, this is my God, and that is a lie. And I will believe this about my God, and I will not be swayed with man's opinion. So God, we've heard already, God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. God is immutable. He never changes. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He is always everywhere. God is wise. He is full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. God is faithful. He is infinitely, unchangingly true. And then today, a new characteristic, a new attribute of our God, if He is your God. And if He isn't, then hear of this God and hopes that it will draw you to Him. Here it is for the week. God is good. He is infinitely, unchangingly kind and full of goodwill. Oh, you ought to know your God. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. According to Tozer, the goodness of God disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. Just like his other attributes, God's goodness exists within his immobility and infinite nature, so that he is unchangingly always good. His mercy flows from his goodness. In his goodness to us, we see that he has purpose to be good in a special way to his people. As with God's other perfect attributes, Christians find it easier to affirm the goodness of God when things are going well. When life takes a nosedive, though, that's when we begin to question God's goodness to and for us. Well, when the psalmist writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, he's inviting us not just to believe that God is good, but to experience God's goodness. And interestingly, as Desiring God's writer Andrew Wilson noted in his article, The Subject of God's Goodness, the psalmist affirms his experience of God's goodness from a place of suffering. Did you hear that? When the psalmist declares that God is good, in that psalm, it's out of a place of his suffering. Yes, we like to see God good in the good things of life, but do you still see him good? Yea, though you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you know your God? In verse 19, he makes a remarkable announcement. Many are the affliction of the righteous. Even with a good God who is sovereign over everything and has the power to do whatever he likes, good people still suffer. His punchline, though, comes in the next phrase. But Yahweh, God, 
delivers him out of all of them. Evil happens, but none of those who take refuge in God will ever be condemned. This is the goodness of our God, you all. Oh, that we will know our God. The Heidelberg Catechism, yet again, another tool. I don't know if you're sitting down with the notes. I don't know if you're going through scripture. I don't know what you're doing. All I can pray is that the words of God, these tools that you are given to know your God better, that you are going forth from this this place and you're sitting down and you're diligently studying. You're encouraging yourself in them. You're, You're seeking to be discipled. You're engaging with what it looks like to apply these truths. So the Heidelberg Catechism is yet yet another tool developed generations ago for the church to be able to defend what she believes. It always fascinated me before I became a Christian, and I would challenge Christians, and they didn't even know what they believed. They didn't even know the God. And I said, God, help us. Listen, the lost, they know who they are. They know what they believe, and what they believe they become. As a man thinks, the Bible says, so he goes. So your belief is should be transforming your life. That's how you're moving now. And nothing is going to stop it. And nothing should stop it. You should know how to defend the truths of Scripture. So, the Lord's Prayer, we're still in it. What does the fourth petition mean? What's the fourth petition? (laughs) Give us this day our daily bread. So what does it mean? Do take care of our physical needs so so that we come to know that you are the only source of everything good. And that neither our work and worry nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. And so help us to give up our trust in creatures and in trust and trust in you alone. Give us this day our daily bread. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 37. Okay, before you play that, let me get there. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 37. I'm going to read that little portion here, and then you can play 17 through 18, verse 17. Okay. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 37. David, remember this is King David. Remember, the book of Chronicles is written to encourage those who were in captivity. Now they're being led back to the land in which God has given them. And we pick up here, David arranged for Asaph and his fellow Levites to serve regularly before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. Doing whatever needed to be done each day, the group included those gentlemen. (laughs) They were the Levites and they they were the gatekeepers. Meanwhile, David stationed Zadok the priest and his fellow priests at the tabernacle of the Lord at the place of worship in Gibeon, where they continued to minister before the Lord. 
They sacrificed with regular burnt offerings to the Lord each morning and evening on the altar set aside for that purpose, obeying everything written in the law of the Lord. And as he commanded Israel, David also appointed Heman, <coughs> Judathan, and the others chosen by the name to give thanks to the Lord. Look at this, for his faithful love endures forever. They used their trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments to accompany their songs of praise to God, and the sons of Jadathun were appointed as gatekeepers. Then all the people returned to their homes, and David turned and went home to bless his own family. Chapter 17 through 18. Carrie, would you play that? The Lord's... Playing from Carrie's iPhone. When David was settled in his palace, he summoned Nathan the prophet. Look... David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the Ark of the Lord's Covenant is out there under a tent. Hmm. Nathan replied to David, Do whatever you have in mind, for God is with you. But that same night, God said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord has declared. You are not the one to build a house for me to live in. I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. My home has always been a tent, moving from one place to another in a tabernacle. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's leaders, the shepherds of my people. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will defeat all your enemies. Furthermore, I declare that the Lord will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for me, and I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my favor from him as I took it from the one who ruled before you. I will confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time, and his throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. David's Prayer of Thanks Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I? O Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, O God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty? You speak as though I were someone very great, O Lord God. What more can I say to you about the way you have honored me? You know what your servant is really like. For the sake of your servant, O Lord, and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known. O Lord, there is no one like you. 
We have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations that stood in their way. You chose Israel to be your very own people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. May it be a promise that will last forever, and may your name be established and honored forever, so that everyone will say, The Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. Oh my God, I have been bold enough to pray to you because you have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O Lord, and you have promised these good things to your servant. And now it has pleased you to bless the house of your servant so that it will continue forever before you. For when you grant a blessing, O Lord, it is an eternal blessing. Hmm. Chapter 18 David's military victories. After this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines by conquering Gath and its surrounding towns. David also conquered the land of Moab, and the Moabites who were spared became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. David also destroyed the forces of Hadadezer, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, when Hadadezer marched out to strengthen his control along the Euphrates River. David captured 1,000 chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. He crippled all the chariot horses except enough for 100 chariots. When Arameans from Damascus arrived to help King Hadadezer, David killed 22,000 of them. Then he placed several army garrisons in Damascus, the Aramean capital, and the Arameans became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. So the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. David brought the gold shields of Hadadezer's officers to Jerusalem, along with a large amount of bronze from Hadadezer's towns of Teba and Kun. Later Solomon melted the bronze and molded it into the great bronze basin called the sea, the pillars, and the various bronze articles used at the temple. When King Toy of Hamath heard that David had destroyed the entire army of King Hadadezer of Zobah, he sent his son Joram to congratulate King David for his successful campaign. Hadadezer and Toy had been enemies and were often at war. Joram presented David with many gifts of gold, silver, and bronze. King David dedicated all these gifts to the Lord, along with the silver and gold he had taken from the other nations, from Edom, Moab, Ammon, Philistia, and Amalek. Abishai, son of Zuriah, destroyed 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He placed army garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites became David's subjects. In fact, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right for all his people. Joab, son of Zuriah, was commander of the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Zadok, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were the priests. Sireah was the court secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was captain of the king's bodyguard. And David's sons served as the king's chief assistants. Amen, amen. So again, understand the importance of why the book of Chronicles is needed in the living word of God. God placed it there. And again, it was written for people who did not know their identity. They had been slaves. They were held in captivity. 
And now they're being returned, and they need to know first their God, and then who they are. And so they're being reminded. And man, it's so precious when you realize all that is being laid out before them to encourage them to know their God, and to live for their God, and to be the people of God. But here's some commentary from the Tony Evans Study Bible that I wanted to share with you. So, commentary on chapter 17, verses 8 through 10. There's great significance to the last part of verse 10. David had proposed building a house for God. But God said, I will build a house for you. The house of God had in, the house God had in mind wasn't composed of bricks. He was talking about a royal dynasty. Only Jesus Christ could fulfill the Davidic covenant and rule as the eternal king. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever. And so even here we see the message and God's plan and God's purpose pointing ultimately to Jesus. In commentary on verse, I'm sorry, on chapter 18, verse 1 through 17, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. With this repeated phrase, the chronicler wants his readers to remember that God was the power behind David's sword. Don't miss verse 11. David's dedicated tribute and plundered served as a good illustration of the principle found in Proverbs 13.22 where it says, The sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. A kingdom-minded economic agenda recognizes that God often providentially transfers the resources of the wicked to be used for kingdom purposes, you all. Again, this is our God, you all. You can't make this stuff up. He has been revealing himself ever since. He spoke forth the word, and the earth was formed. And when he breathed into Adam, and Eve were formed, when they sinned, it didn't take God by surprise. (laughs) He knew that ultimately Jesus was coming to redeem his creation. He has an eternal plan that he is offering each one of us to be a part of. Oh, that we wouldn't settle for the temporalness of this life. Go to Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 24. Not not much more, but let's jump in. Again, when we open up the book of Romans a couple weeks ago, we understand and we read through chapter 1, God's anger at sin. And basically how he turns people over. And as he turned them over, they became more vile. They became more wicked. They became more perverse. (laughs) They thought it was foolish to even acknowledge God. So he abandoned them into their foolishness. And so we then we pick up in the same letter to the church in Rome. Paul picks up. Well, let's look at the last verse of chapter 1, verse 32. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. 
And then that, then, you know, the church, of course, goes, yes, yes, those filthy sinners, damn them to hell. But before you're quick to do that, you ought to read verse 1 of chapter 2. He's writing to the church, you all. You who, the church, may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others, for you who judge others, do these very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who, do, who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. He's correcting the church, you all. The same filth that he opened up his letter and was exposing, the motive behind it was to expose it that was in the church. And yet in our same in our generation, look what's going on in our churches. And look what they're parading around and what they are allowing. I mean, we're content and we're comfortable with the gossiping and the backbiting and devouring each other, with perversion running amok, with sin dominating. But have we not realized, have we not lost sight of God's loving kindness that brings us to repentance? We look at others and we say, that's bad, that's bad, they're bad. But that finger should be pointing to us if we're doing the very same thing. Somehow we think we're safe because we're in the church. And that's no different than the Old Testament. I can't wait till we get to the book of the prophets. And God tells them, you think you're safe because you go to the temple? God tells them, stop praying. I'm not even listening to your prayers. I mean, he calls his people out. So as it was then, so it is here, and so it is today. Why are you so quick to judge when you're doing the very same thing? And remember, we're not to judge what's going on out there. No, we're to judge what's going on in here. <laughs> but there's no standard of righteousness when the church just allows sin in to run rampant. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn, he's talking to church and refuse to turn from your sin. You, who, you, who, those sitting in the church, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed, He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life. Oh, highlight that. Circle that. <laughs> he will give eternal life to those 
who keep, who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and the immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. He's talking to the church because we already know that's happening on the outside. But he, Paul wants to remind people who are just sitting in the church holding a form of religion, thinking somehow they're safe, that false sense of security. But he will pour out his anger and his wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But, and here's the good news. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts and for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. You who call yourself Jews are relying on God's law. Don't forget this church is mixed with many different believers from Jewish Believers now to Gentile believers. It's a mixed church. So you who call yourself Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught the law or you've been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light of people who are lost in the darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? Jews, he's saying you're so active. You, you hold yourself up as, as, as if you have all this knowledge and insight and favor from God. And you teach others. Why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but you steal. You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but you do commit adultery. You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. You say, what do we do with that this week? That'll just sit there with you. Are you living a secret life? 
are you holding a form of religion and not really living truth? Are you content in saying, well, I go to church, and yet going to church hasn't even transformed your life? And yet you look at others as if they're wicked and you're no different than them. This is what's being addressed. There's nothing new under the sun, you all. And those who remain wicked, rather you're sitting in church, doing your little prayer time, doing your little things, oh, look how holy I am and in right standing with God. Actually, you're not because you're quick to lie, cheat, steal. Be bound by this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that. And And giving yourself the right and you justify it. And yet you see it in others, you just go, oh, you're bad. You're quick to teach others. Oh, there's a lot of people who can get up and teach the word. And yet they live lives that are damning them to hell. Like, I don't know what we're playing. I don't know what we're doing. But do you hear this? This is God's word. This isn't Rob's word. This is God's word holding up a standard. And in the midst of seeing and hearing about the wrath, did you miss out on hearing about his love? But those who do good. Those who understand it is his loving kindness that brings you to repentance. For those who honor God, live for God, and continue to, not a little one-time prayer, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian. I, did, I met all my church's ordinances, poof, I'm okay with God. <laughs> Do you understand the mockery that we're doing to a holy God? And there's nothing new under the sun. Well, I was emotional when I went to the altar and said a prayer, but you're living like the devil. (laughs) No, there's a way in which we are called to live. It's to honor God. He's real, you all. He's real. He's holy. He is calling to himself a people in every generation that he has purposed, that he has predestined, that he knows to himself to accomplish his kingdom purpose in their generation until the heavens split and the eternal kingdom is at hand. Oh, we ought to praise our God. Go to Psalm 10. Ooh. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Psalm Psalm 10. Verse 16 through 18, these verses I hope will encourage you. 16 through 18, the Lord is king forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the land. Lord, you know the hopes of the hopeless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so mere people can no longer terrify them. This is our God, you all. This is our God. He cares for the least among us. (laughs) The orphans and the oppressed. He's a good God. 
Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. Two nuggets of wisdom. Oh, I hope you're encouraged today. (laughs) Proverbs 19, verse 8 through 9. To acquire wisdom is to love oneself. People who cherish understanding will prosper. A false witness will not go unpunished, and a liar will be destroyed. Again, there is a way in which we are called to live, you all, and it is for Christ and Christ alone. Let us close with a song of worship, and then I'll close us in prayer.
Oh, Father, thank you, Lord.